she's here at freaking 25. I don't want to try this shot because he has taken 10 minutes to come 60 yards, you know? And I'm like, I'm going to get a chip shot. And Perry's like, don't forget the front window's not open. Well, the front window of the blind isn't because I had the vertical open that I was going to shoot out of. She's already closed. And I'm like, Ooh. so I go ahead and I come to full draw because he's quartering to me the whole time at the scrape. I come to full draw when he turns broadside and I'm just settling in ready to shoot. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. If you care, if you're counting, this is episode number 244. You're Tim Chelswick. You are Matt Drury. And we got the madman today. We're going to be talking forked buck. Yeah. Yeah, we got Mr. Mark Drury on Zoom. How are you, Mark? Good. How are you guys? Not bad. Good. Good. We're ready to kick off the new year. We got... So our goal, we're trying to get to 300 episodes this year. So if we, you know, if we did 52, we'd be six shy. So we're going to do a couple extra or try to this year. So that's our goal. We got lofty plans for the podcast this year, but uh, it's always good to kick it off with Mark talking about big bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has seen a few this year. Yeah. So we'll talk about the fork buck because that was a multi-year quest. So that'll be an interesting story. Um, if folks are interested in your kill, they can go back to last week and hear about your buck finishing out the season strong finally caught up to one yes yes on the new lease tripped into one (laughs) doesn't matter it's still a tag it's you're you're golden now we're done it's a complete season um and we should probably welcome in some of our newer rack pack members let's do it all right so this week the newest rack pack members ryan dugig ian steve all right is that the fake name Ian's. I mean, I I'm not even saying his last say. name. That's Ty the, Gray. The fun is guessing. Bay Grace, Josh McGill, Jimothy Schlump. Okay, that's the fake one. <laughs> Andrew Geist, Nick J. Olson. So welcome to the Rack Pack. Yeah, and we should say that uh, in the future we may be doing some live Facebook events during the show within the Rack Pack group over there on Facebook. This is a Tim brainchild. Mm-hmm. So it will probably. Flop. If you want to get into the Rack Pack, all you got to do, go to Facebook, mm-hmm. type into the search bar, Jury Outdoors Rack Pack, should pop up. Bada bing, bada boom. Tim's got a few weird questions that you have to answer. <laughs> <laughs> we, want, we want to make sure we don't have any uh, uh, Bots. folks. Well, we had a, a fake female profile join the Did we? group last week, and she posted a suggestive picture of herself. Oh. <laughs> and right off the bat, one of our guys reported it, and we were able to take it down and remove that person. Thank goodness we wouldn't want suggestive photos <laughs> in our Facebook group. <laughs> you didn't want this suggestive photo. Oh, okay. You yeah, test me. How do you know it was fake? <laughs> well, that's a good point. <laughs> at, at any rate, it was inappropriate. We'll, we'll, we'll call it that. But it It's like, a good Ooh. thing that you're the, the main guy that followed that you know that is the gatekeeper for this <laughs> the conscience of the group yeah because i could let anything go. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone unless that, it's talking bad about me we, that's where i draw the line <laughs> <laughs> right we we have thin like we both have thin skin yeah don't, don't make fun of us <laughs> we uh we had someone try to post an ad about ammunition like let's not make it a salesy group guys let's keep it Let's keep it about the show and about deer hunting. Hmm. That's all right. Uh, Dale Wagner reached out. He's part of the Rack Pack. He says, I've watched all 242 episodes. Jeez. Guessing I'm the only one that has. (laughs) 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 I've been a taxidermist since 1985. When I work on the face of of the deer, I have the podcast on my TV, so I have something to listen to and glancing up every once in a while at the good stuff. Every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you notice... He saves the podcast for the really tedious part of the taxidermy. I'm doing something really hard, very tedious that I have to concentrate on. I need this white noise in the background. That's exactly what we are. Yeah. yeah so in reality, he's just he's listening to it. He's not if he's working on the face of the deer, he's not watching yes. you guys. So. I'll take the view anyways. Right. Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine being a taxidermist for thirty five years? No. How, how many deer that guy has seen and Hopefully a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that means he's a good one. <laughs> let's hope. But, but man, just doing anything for 35 years, that's a long time. Well, Tim, ask Mark. He's on 33 of Drury Outdoors. So. It's a long time. And when things get tedious, he pops on the podcast. Yeah. 
exactly. <laughs> and, and actually, was his name Dale? Is that what you said? Yeah, Dale Wagner. Dale's one of three that's watched all of these. <laughs> <laughs> Myself, Terry, Dale. Oh, yeah, know. right. <laughs> Never missed it. So, <laughs> Dale, you're with us, buddy. Yeah. OG Rackpackers. No, one of three is Tim, Matt, <laughs> and Dale. And we just watched it to check to make sure it came out okay. No, no, I don't actually watch it. I'm living it. <laughs> That's right. We are the podcast. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's Beth, Miranda, and Dale. Oh, yeah. Now we know you're <laughs> full of crap. <laughs> no comment. So let's do a little rewind well, here. Why don't you guys get those two on for one episode? Uh I think that would be an awesome episode if you had those two on. We'll start with Tracy and Willa, and we'll work our way to (laughs) Pat. See how that goes. (laughs) We can get Tracy and Willa, then we'll go to Miranda and Beth. Yeah, it's like, who could you find that is the least impressed with what you do for a living? Those four people. (laughs) Those four four people would be the least impressed. Oh, you killed the deer? That's nice. I didn't even get a congratulations. (laughs) Will you be home before 10? (laughs) Yeah. Are are you finally done? That's the real question. I did get a meme that was like, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. So It can breed some resentment for sure. Oh, yeah. She actually told me that. (laughs) There's there's always a... A tongue-in-cheek comment from Tracy, whether it be turkey or deer season, you know. She, she's like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> You're the man, Mario. Stuff like that. I need more I affirmation. I'm just letting you know I killed one. You know? <sighs> no need to say anything. I know you're beaming with pride. <laughs> yes, exactly. How about just a thumbs up? <laughs> <laughs> a tacit endorsement. That's all I can hope yeah. for. <laughs> so, uh, so let's let's rewind a little bit and talk about the fork buck. And, and well, first of all, before we do that, he we never had him on to. He did the working class podcast for the two sixteen, <laughs> and uh, so we never got to hear about that deer. We're gonna we're gonna just give us a brief glimpse of that one before you get into the fork buck. And in general, you had a hell of a season because oh, yeah. down in Texas you killed a big deer. Of course, Missouri, you guys had that opening day double, and it's just been a really great season in general for the Mad Camp. So, a brief synopsis. I, I'd like to kind of see now that we're at the end of the year how you felt like the year went because frankly it was it was tough for just about everybody you talk to with the moon and the warm weather and you guys persevered. And I think that's where all the hard work, all the pre-planning, all the trail cameras, that's where all that comes into play for you. But if you could give us a little recap before you get into the fork buck story. What, you know, we're, we're doing the fork buck story for deer season 21. And we actually did a recap because it took the entire year to to catch up to him. Let's take four years to catch up to him. And as I did that recap, I kind of drifted back and mentioned some of the other stuff that that had occurred. You know, it took several phases to finally run into him this year. You know, after after I killed in phase three, I guess that was. Uh, no, that was phase two, with the uh, with the disappearing act. So, yes, we had a good season, and you know, it, it was uh, unique in the fact that the weather has been so warm, and. We kept thinking, okay, when's it going to break and when's it going to get to normal? And I'm sure you guys have noticed, like, the cold fronts barely got us to normal temperature. Yeah. But what we've learned or what we witnessed looking back at it in hindsight, the cold fronts, even though they weren't majorly major cold fronts, they meant so much more because we were we were going through so much warm weather and literally every cold front we'd kill we'd kill one or two bucks, you know, and, and I think that's, we struck when the iron was hot, when deer cast finally said good or great, kind of good is the new great because there weren't many greats this no. year. And when it said good or great, we made sure that we went out in full force. You know, we would run four crews or three crews every time that we had a cold front because they were so rare. And I think that, that really helped in the fact that we just went all in on the fronts and then we'd back up and, and slow down a little bit on the bad days. So I think that's that's why we succeeded and, and had some of the success we had. But it has been a good year. We've been blessed. Um, everybody's still safe. We've had a lot of viruses go through camp. But other than that, it's been it's been a wonderful year. And and uh, it's not over yet. We're still we're still hunting here in Iowa. So and we finally got cold temperatures, man. It's it's brutally cold right now. 
Yeah, so if if you want to go back and listen to how they caught up to the Disappearing Act, that podcast is on the working class on DeerCast. That's in that's on the Jury Outdoors YouTube channel. It's in DeerCast. Mm-hmm. So I think that was episode two, maybe. So, know. anyways, go back and watch that one. Give Kurt some little Curtis some love and big cat Kurt. That's what I <laughs> oh, he just him. yeah, he's sharing yeah, he the story did. on his big cat. Yeah, killed a nice cat. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. He's had he's had a good year certainly. He has. So fast forward into you know the late season here. Well, it really wasn't the late season. I guess it'd be considered. What phase was that? You killed Fork Buck. I killed him December twentieth. So that oh. was that feedback. Was yeah, feedback. Yeah. Yeah, All right. So you say you got a four-year history with this deer. Kind of take us through the evolution of trying to catch up to him. Man, it's it's a long story, and I I, I worry this deer season twenty-one is going to be pretty elongated. But you, you know, how often do you hunt one as hard as we've hunted this deer for four years and and not catch up to him? I I can't remember one that we haven't had a little bit quicker success than this one. And um, I first started getting pictures of him in two thousand and seventeen. And we were convinced he was at least three and a half. I really feel like he was four and a half and 17, which would make him eight and a half now. And that farm is about 25. It's a 25 minute drive from here where I live and all the other farms pretty close to this, this farm. So it was always like you had to have the perfect conditions to go down there because, you know, driving down there, it takes a little bit of a morning or of an evening when there's other options closer. So that I think in and of itself reduced our chances of killing him just because we didn't go there as much as, as we should have. Now, Wade almost killed him. Dustin Lynch almost killed him. Um, Terry hunted him. Taylor hunted him. Tom Gallagher hunted him. Um, literally every JP's hunted him. Every guest I had in camp over the last several years, if they had a tag for that area, hunted that deer so there was eight or nine of us that made the attempt through the years and we just no one ever saw him we saw him wade and dustin saw him twice together and then wade and i saw him once so prior to this year he had been seen three times but here's a deer with i have a file of of 510 pictures of the deer over the last four years and I didn't put them all in the file from the first three years. If I put them all in there, I know I'd be closer to a thousand pictures. I only put a few in from the first early years, but just the last two years, I bet I've had 400 pictures of him, lots of daylights and stuff. And this year, once I killed disappearing act, my attention shifted to him. He's eight and a half years old. He was the oldest buck I knew of probably the the biggest, biggest deer I knew of probably not the, the biggest, but was the oldest. And I was like, man, I really want to focus in on this deer. And, and the reason I was so excited about hunting him was because of that four-year history. Mm-hmm. I have a roadmap of every every place he likes to be daylight and the dates that he likes to be there. And I was like, this deer is killable if I if I you know put the plan in place as I know how to hunt deer. And boy, little did I know he, he taught me a lot of lessons this year because we we really had trouble seeing him again this year. We did see him the night of October 20th and he came in on a major cold front to center scrape where we hunted him a lot, but it was, I was on, I grabbed the camera because we were all packed up and getting ready to leave. We were still legal, but it was really, really dark, dense, low clouds. And I grabbed the camera just to get some footage of him because I have trail pics, but it's different to see him in person. And I wanted to examine the footage and, and that'll be in, in deer season 21. And I was like, oh my goodness, he's much larger in person than he was on, on the trail pics. So I got some footage of him and then we continued to hunt him as much as we could throughout late October and early November, because that was the window the past several years at center scrape and line plot and cove plot where he would actually daylight. Mm -hmm. So we continued to hunt there and he really had me scratching my head because he he turned more nocturnal this year during that period than before. So I feel like he knows us pretty well, just like we know him. And uh, I was trying to be smart about access and where I'd go and all that good stuff. And we just couldn't run into him. And, and finally he went to a different part of the farm. This farm is, is 417 total acres. And I got a picture of him on a new plot we put in this year. This plot didn't exist last year. And I got a nighttime picture of him and I was like, hmm. So we started hunting there and it was, it was great access, literally 60 yards off, off the highway. This plot is, it's really close to, 
to a highway and we'd get in and get out. And I was like, he's not going to know we're here. And, and Perry and I almost killed him the night of November 3rd, man. He was, he was already stuck on a doe like glue. She came to the plot early that afternoon, uh, like two fifty, a little before three o'clock wor- worked all the way in. We have 15 minutes of footage of him within a hundred yards, just standing there watching her. And he comes all the way in and at 40 yards, he goes to make a scrape, 44, 42, 42 yards. And I'm sitting there, and that's the exact distance I killed uh, the disappearing act buck. And I'm like, she's here at freaking 25. I don't want to try this shot because he has taken 10 minutes to come 60 yards, you know? And I'm like, I'm going to get a chip shot. And Perry's like, don't forget the front window's not open. Well, the front window of the blind is it because I had the vertical open that I was going to shoot out of. She's already closed. And I'm like, Ooh. so I go ahead and I come to full draw because he's quartering to me the whole time at the scrape. I come to full draw when he turns broadside and I'm just settling in ready to shoot. And he faces me mm. standing there looking at the dough. And I'm like, oh, and it just all, the footage is stupidly good. It's unbelievable. Like people be like, how did you not kill this deer? It seems impossible. Okay. So, he quarters two, then he turns his attention to the doe and he's walking real slow. And I'm like, that's fine. I got to get the window open, let down, get the window open slowly. They don't, they don't catch. And, um, and all of a sudden he decides after, I think it's 12 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, within, within a hundred yards, most of it within 80, he decides to nudge her. <laughs> you know how bucks all of a sudden just get fed up yeah. and make that run. So he goes from 40 to 30 and then out of my life in just a matter of four or five seconds. And of course I try to stop him and, and uh, to no avail. And then he went to the field edge, turned around and looked back at the blind. And I'm like, well, we're done here. In my mind, I'm like, we're done. You know, he's, he's got us again. And he didn't really have us, but I'm, you know, I was bleating trying to get him to stop. He didn't have us uh, in terms of win, but I also knew the odds just went back to the restart position, you know, like, you hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt. All of a sudden your odds are increasing of finally seeing the deer. Well, when you see him, they just go back to, to ground zero to where you're starting over again. And indeed that was the case. I never saw, saw him again until December, December 20th that evening. So I went from November 3rd to December 20th and uh, didn't see him. Now in that period was lockdown. It was the Missouri rifle season. Yeah. It was a Texas trip. So it wasn't like I was hunting him every day, but he w- really wasn't visible on the cameras. And then when he did get visible and when he was really, really killable, I didn't have a tag far. And that was during the first and second gun season. Mm-hmm. And, and none of us, based on the way the tags fell, really had a, a tag in that area. So, um, you know, and, and the weather was terrible, but yet he was daylighting. But he, he was killable. I noticed looking back through the pictures as I put the file together for um for the deer season 21 he was pretty killable then and and based on that mri i popped up a blind with the intention of killing or trying to hunt him um during the late muzzleloader season and i actually went out that morning the first morning of of the season which was december 20th with a muzzleloader and i snuck into i had a really good access to a would have been a 200 to 215 yard shot where he normally came out on this plot and i was pulling through the gate and I have a gravel lane back to where I park. And I had just gone through that gravel lane. And, and the day before, I had the right wind. So I went and put three new Reconic cells up on this plot because suddenly he started getting regular on a plot, which he never was. That was the difficulty with the buck. I called him the buck that was everywhere but was nowhere. I got pictures of him everywhere, but I could never mm-hmm. see him. So I put three new cells up. And I go through the popping gravel. And... I, I get to where I'm going to park and I get a cell notification and it's him and he's on the plot already. And I'm like, son of a gun. And then I got three more pictures of him walking through the plot. And I, in my mind, I'm like, he, he, he reacted to that popping gravel. It was mm. too calm, you know? And I was like, I needed to get in here, but I was, I was early, you know, it was black dark. So I went ahead and waited 15 minutes. I made all the cell cameras, give me pictures he wasn't anywhere on the plot. I snuck into the blind because the access was lock proof. It was awesome. Cedar roll all the way in, getting in the back of the blind. And I cut a hole through the cedars where I could barely see the plot. And I sat there till nine o'clock, didn't see. Him. Then I got another cell report on a ridge west of there, about 400 yards. 
that I thought to be him going south. And that's why I chose where I chose that night to go a half mile south down to Long Bottom where I hadn't hunted him at all this year. But as I made the file, I noticed I had historical pictures of him there in December a few times. And I told Wayne, I go, we're going to do something stupid. We're going to go as far away from him as we can get because I feel like I pushed him that morning, mm -hmm. right? That pop and gravel. I felt like I pushed him out of where he had been. And then that's that's where he walked out and, and I killed him that night. So I think at the end of the day, and when I finally looked at that card, the picture that I thought was him going south was not him. So I made a decision based on a picture that wasn't him. So in reality, good luck finally prevailed, right? I, I finally got lucky. And, and once again, you know, you hunt a deer enough, you're, you're going to finally run into him. You know, we, we kept saying, we got to be the camera. We got to be there. We got to be there. We got to be there. Well, that comes at a price of access in and out. So I was really careful about where I'd even go sit on him. Uh, but finally he walked out at, and, and that, that was such a weird night when he walked out, I'm sitting there in the blind. And it's, it's early. We, we've seen one buck early in the afternoon. It's December 20th, right? We're on a bean field with a big radish field in front of us. And at about 200 yards, we see a buck, nothing else. And this farm, you should see some deer before you see, start seeing age, right? So we're sitting there and Willa had sent me a, uh, an email about the company bonuses. And I'm sitting there going through the bonuses and I'm getting through the whole list, you know, and, and I'm looking at him and Mark and uh, Wade goes, Mark, there's a big buck right to your left. Don't move. And so I put my cell phone in my pocket and I look out the window and I go, that's the pork buck. And he's standing there 22 yards. Oh, and when, when Wade shifted to see him better, the blind popped. Ah, it's cold, right? Great. It's December 20th. And I'm looking at him and he's looking straight up at me at 22 yards. Every window's closed. My bow's sitting there. And I'm like, oh. I can't even believe this. And then faithfully he's, he's put his head down and started eating radishes. And I was like, here we go. So I got the window open, got my bow ready. And then we watched him for several minutes before he gave us a shot. And he, my shot was at 25. So I thought our just, bonuses were pretty good this year. <laughs> if only that could happen every year. <laughs> Dude, that's what, timing. what crazy you know, I mean, for him to be right underneath you there, like crazy well, set of circumstances to lead to that moment. And, and here's the thing. What he came through was wide open from my view. So the, the legend of the buck continued until the moment he died. Like if I'd have been paying attention, like I'd have seen him coming down through this brushy bottom. Like uh -huh. it's, it's, it's deer heaven where he came from, but he came out, he came up the same trail we did to get to the block. <laughs> like, so even that was crazy. Everything about this buck was just, really non-conventional. He was a really odd deer in my opinion, just very different. He taught me a lot about deer behavior over the, just looking back through the pictures and then hunting him as, as hard as we did this year. He taught me a great deal. It makes me cool. feel better that I'm not the only one that gets surprised by deer because of my stupid phone. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> does. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, essentially he was the first deer we saw. I mean, yes, we saw one in a distance, at like three o'clock was just odd movement, you know, yeah. going from one bed to the next bed. But for him to be the first deer on it, it's a five acre bean field. He was number one. What, first deer out there. What time was that that he popped out? Like three fifty five. So early. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So was that kind of tucked into the property as far as like back in there and, and like cover all around? I mean, for yep. them to yep. move yep. that so early. As groovy a spot as you could possibly have a deer field. I mean, it's mm -hmm. unbelievable where it's at. Um, but the access is one that I don't care for cause it's a long way through some woods mm -hmm. and then you get in a Creek and you walk forever up the Creek and then you come up the Creek bank into the, into the blind. So I don't like going up through that bottom. We didn't scare anything, but we, for him to be there as quick as he did, we literally walked right past the deer. We had to, have. Mm. he had to have been bedded right there. And so the last 200 yards or so is up a really deep creek mm -hmm. with down trees and everything else and we get right below the blind and we crawl up the hill and into the blind so the last bit is quite good the access is he had to have been bedded right there though in in hindsight for him to be there that quick yeah he had to have been we literally walked right past him <laughs> unreal crazy Mark, and, I want to go and he was straight up wind of us too so 
the, the moment he put his head down, I opened the window, you know, because I'm like, we got it. There's no other deer in the field. Yeah. And he's straight up wind. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, you're dead. I mean, I, I really felt like this was it. If you watch the video, I say that to Wade. I go, here we go. We've waited for this for a long time. And we had, cause I knew I was going to kill him or I felt like I did. So no does, just him. That's, that's that definitely so makes it a lot easier to open a window because are you just waiting on unless the window pops which when we always get into the blind we always open them to try to prevent that but if there's no other deer in the field and he's got his head down it makes it a hell of a lot easier than trying to look for all 10 deer 20 deer yeah. looking for all the eyes or especially when they're feeding out like that they could be all around you and that, that's a tense moment mm -hmm. to try to even just get the window open to shoot so it is it is it's uh it's a challenge but i was sure glad to see him standing there no doubt and even more glad to walk up on him and he was he was bigger than he looked in the pictures and in video his body was really really large so it, it shrunk him down a little bit in terms of just seeing him stand there but when you see him laying there he was really large the mass is what's crazy i mean he's just Thanks. it's like yeah. soda can mass all the way out to the tips he, he did i think his his smallest mass measurement was like five and six a's and most of them were over six wow. I think he was seven at the bases and then six is all the way out on the one side and then the last one on the on the the other side was five and five and six a's so yeah the most massive deer i've ever killed for sure and that was a night that jp um morris was in camp and he killed a giant that night as well right he did. Yeah. He killed a buck that had just shown up Well, he showed up during gun season and Taylor and I hunted him two or three different nights. I continued to get pictures of him. And I mean, he's a giant, he's six or seven. I mean, he had a larger body than this deer, just a giant head. And, um, it was cool that, that he came out and JP was able to get him killed too. It was, it was an awesome night, but big cold front, you know, sure. and they moved real well that night. That was, you said the 20th. 20th of December. So yeah. that was right around, that was, was that the full moon? I'm thinking. Yeah, it was full that day, but it came up late that night. Yeah. Yeah. It did. I remember it rising as we recovered the, recovered the deer. But, uh, but think of that two straight weeks of every drive in the country, every gun hunter in the country. Like we get pounded around our farms during gun season mm -hmm. and two straight weeks of it. And then the day after, JP and I, and what are the odds of that? We both go out and kill one with a bow on the first day back after two weeks of gun season. Like, that's never happened before either. I mean, so, never. So take me back through that part because, of course, I'm, I'm not an Iowa resident, so I don't know exactly how that works. So you had a muzzleloader tag, you said, for that morning? Is that or what? Take me yeah, through I that. Yeah, I had two tags left. I had, my, I had a bow tag and a muzzleloader tag. That morning was really a, a, a spot to hunt with a – Gun. to hunt with a, um, a gun because I knew my shot would not be closed. So I went in with a muzzleloader tag. I went, I self-filmed because it, it was not a high likelihood of killing him, but I had everything set up to where I could have gotten it really well because he's, he's going to be in one spot. So I got the camera on 4K just sitting there. Mm -hmm. um, and then that night I went to that field because there, there'd been a, a really big 10, like one, 180, 185 class, typical mm -hmm. 10. And I told Wade, I go, We'll go down there and really hunt that 10, but that fork buck could show up. He really could. Yeah. And and that's that's what happened. The fork buck did. So, nice. Only thing that yeah. could have made that kill better was if you'd been in a saddle, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Maybe exactly. next year. You know, Carson's a, a fellow saddle enthusiast. <laughs> we got another one. <laughs> there's, still, there's two. You know, it's funny because I'll, I'll go on Facebook and I'll look at some of like the mobile hunters Facebook group and – and it's clear I'm not a saddle hunter. The like the level, the devotion these guys go to to trick out their gear. Like I have hunted from a saddle. You're a poser. But I'm not. Yeah, I'm pretty much like <laughs> I've been in one. I'm not a saddle hunter. Well, you've yeah. gone further than Mark and I ever will. <laughs> Amen. Make Amen. sure you and me were getting a double saddle. No, we're not. <laughs> Mark, well, <laughs> I, I want to go back to something you said earlier, Mark, about how your odds increase as you hunt a deer, but then when you have an encounter, they kind of reset. Is that is that still true if you don't have any interaction with that deer, if you just observe them, or is it just across the board it resets at that point? In your I mind? personally think it is. I, I really do. I mean, I, I think you got to put your time in, and, and 
anything else is really just good fortune. And it, it will all equal out through a full life of bow hunting. If you, if you look back and you look at when you kill, there's a pace to it, mm-hmm. you know, and you can go on runs, you can go on runs of good luck, but you're going to go on some runs of really terrible luck as well. Like it's, it's a numbers game. Yeah. It's no different than your trail cameras. If you watch trail pictures on a day in and day out basis, you'll get him. And then it's going to be six, seven more days till you get him again, you know, unless he's sick or unless he's a major homeboy or something like that. But there's definitely an odds factor to bow hunting white tail deer in my opinion. Odds are you're going to have a crappy 22 and <laughs> I may be in for a hell of a year. <laughs> and that looks like I'm going to need three, three or more months to kill this buck that I just saw here recently. Yeah. It sounds like, but it's, it's one of the reasons that, that, if you look at guys that look at the success Terry's had this year, the success I've had, well, we get to hunt every day. You know, we are a trail camera. We're sitting out there every day. Our odds are quite high that we're going to kill X amount of deer because we're out there every day. If we were limited in time, you guys are both more limited than Terry and I are. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes a difference. Like you're, you're only going to kill. If you, you count your hunting days, you're only going to kill so many per hunt day. And the more hunt days you have, the greater your odds are of, of filling those tags. So it is, it really is a, a time, time factor. I thought you were going to say, it's really why your wife's resent you. <laughs> <laughs> because you spend so much time trying to well, kill you, a deer. You guys hunt a lot, but you don't hunt. I mean, Terry and I don't miss a day, Yeah, you know? I mean, that's part of our success is just having the ability to go. Basically, we're just trying to hit great good yeah you know very strategic yeah my my buddy tony was over tony listens to the podcast and he was talking about he's got a northern missouri lease that he goes to and he was kind of going through how tough it is to hunt it he lives down here in the st louis area so it's time it's a motel stay it's fuel yeah. and and beth was sitting there with us as we were visiting i was like are you hearing all this beth like could be worse all the expense of the time <laughs> that he's spending away versus what i'm because because yeah i mean it's it is a huge investment to, to to take that time well yeah believe it or not beth i've got this right <laughs> that's what i should have said first i should have said and, listen here and in fact beth you're damn lucky <laughs> thank you then maybe put your finger right in her chest and yes. said now <laughs> cook me dinner <laughs> i'm glad she doesn't listen yeah aren't we all <laughs> i can have a lot of bravado because of that <laughs> um i i did look back uh the fork buck kill is episode three on the working class on Deercast. The show. disappearing act. Sorry, disappearing yeah. act. Yeah, episode three. So go back. Hi- highly Deercast. recommend going back and checking that out if you haven't. Uh, so looking ahead here, you as this show's airing, we're filming it before it airs, obviously. So you got a couple seasons left, or a couple weeks left yep. of the season. So. I get the irony of why I said that. Brilliant. (laughs) We are filming it before it airs, yes. I meant like pre-taping weeks ahead of when it airs. I was trying to be better and just not But the way you laughed. Sorry, yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to be better in 2022. So far you're failing. (laughs) So anyways, what's left? How many tags do you guys have left? I know there's a lot of dough harvesting that you guys have left to do. That's always your big late season push that you guys try to manage the herd. But other than that, are you guys still chasing any bucks? We are, yeah. Um, I've still got a muzzleloader tag. So I've got a, a couple, three that are on the hit list that I'm trying to find that, that are that are hard to find. One of which actually showed up last night for the first time in, in, my goodness, I'll bet you six weeks since I've seen him. It was late October the last time I saw him. So it's been a long time. I was looking at it a while ago, and I actually – I was by myself and I was, I went, <laughs> when he showed up, you know, like no one could hear me, but I was that excited to see him, you know, gotcha. I was like, finally, you know, I got 16 cell cams on that farm. It's actually the same farm the fork buck lived on and um, he showed up. So that changes my plan a little bit. And then I've got my, my honey hole that I go to so often where Johnny Morris killed last year. I've got a couple really nice targets down there, both the same ones we were hunting last year. So um, I've got a muzzleloader tag. Um, Josh has got a muzzleloader tag. Carson's got a muzzleloader tag. So we'll see, uh, whether, whether, you know, we find some targets or what, what happens there. But and other than that, we, sh- we shot does last night and we've got probably 50 to 60 of those to shoot yet this year. So we'll be working between fronts. We'll be working on does. And, God, that's uh, a lot of work. <laughs> 
it, it's a lot of work. We've, we've shot, um, we have another 15 or so to shoot down in Texas. We've already shot 17 down there. And then um, in Missouri, we've shot 25 or so our group did, but as a whole, we've shot probably 75 our DMAP uh, area has. So, you know, what's all said and done, we will have shot probably a, a, between me, Wade and Perry, we will have shot a hundred, 110 does, you know, between Missouri, Texas and, and Iowa. So it's, <laughs> it's a lot of work. Like it's more than, more than you can imagine. Uh, I said just a while ago, I was like, I don't know how, cause I felt like, you know, after we killed the next day, I felt like I got hit by a truck. Yeah. It's like, I don't know how <laughs> Mark and deer. Terry do this every day day in and day out and kill all these deer and the does and because Forrest and you know terry are also managing there at dad's place and it just i mean it's never ending process in the late season you feel like oh i'm tagged out you're never tagged out really it never nope. ends when nope. they're managing like these guys are you know so it's just i don't know i can't imagine that amount of work yeah so what what platform are you shooting from? Are you using the 350 Legend? Like what? No, these are all muzzle loaders in Iowa. So everything we're shooting is with a nitro fire. Unreal. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. hey, uh, that, that, that gun's a game changer. I, I was going to say that. That gun makes it a lot easier, though. For what we do. So what we choose are the windiest of nights, you know, because when the wind's blowing, that they hear the shot and they, they might scatter, but they'll come back out and whatnot. So we're able to really maximize our, our efforts on windy nights. Uh, and sometimes we'll sit in tandem uh-huh. to people and you can really do two for one with muzzleloaders because if you sit there and both get on a, on a target doe, you don't one, two, three, but you, you just tell one person to shoot first. Okay. You're both on them. The guy that shoots first, the second guy, his trigger to shoot is once he hears the first report. Cause if you go one, two, three, you never time it correctly. So you just say, okay, you shoot first. And the moment you hear that gun report and you see your crosshair still on them, you go ahead and shoot because they won't react in the time that it takes to, to get the shot off. So okay. that's the way we've, we've been the best and, and most efficient is two guys at once and kill two at a time. And, are you and then looking, reload and get ready. Are you looking for the most mature does in that oh, process? Mature. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't like too many fawns. I mean, if they're right there where you can positively see that it's a fawn, we'll shoot because a doe is a doe is a doe, and what we're trying to accomplish. But um, you know, I, I don't like shooting too many does. I think last year, you know, I think all total we shot about a hundred does, and I think we got about three buttons out of all of that. Uh, so okay, and that was that was Perry. He I was gonna to, say, wasn't that Perry? <laughs> Perry. So we nicknamed him Perry Button instead of Perry. <laughs> Brutal. I love it. <laughs> it's a tough crowd, but guess what? He's not shooting any buttons. This year. <laughs> We're bullies. Identify your targets. Yeah, it, you know, but you know what? That was his first year shooting does, and I think he shot fifty of them. I mean, Perry's a horse, buddy. I mean, you want to go doe hunting with somebody where you're gonna have some help? Go with Perry. Yeah, because. He is an absolute man. I mean, he, he gets after it. Well, I, that's the part that's crazy because the work that's involved in finding, field dressing, yep. cleaning, getting them out. Of course, you guys are, you know, these are all for, uh, you donate these to share the harvest or whatever the program is, you know, in your area. But that's a ton of work. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's it's a ton it. of work. And we don't gut them on the field. We, we get them. We get them off the field. So you're loading them, you're unloading them, you're gutting them, you're reloading them, you're taking them to a central location, unloading them, and then once it's time to donate, you're reloading them. I mean, you're handling each deer several times, and they're they're big does. I mean, these Iowa does are they're ginormous. I mean, they're all 100 and field dressed. They're all 120 to 140 pounds. I mean, they're they're big. So and it's cold or freezing, you know. I mean, the wind's blowing, and you're in you're in you're in full insulated gear. Yeah. So that it makes it more cumbersome. You're not comfortable like early season. You're, you're limber and you got all mobility. Well, in the clothing you're in this time of year, it's just, it's not as easy, but uh, we enjoy it. And it, it all goes for a, a great cause at the end of the day. I mean, mm-hmm. we're feeding a lot of families. With, with the Hell you're feeding most of Iowa. It sounds like <laughs> a lot of sloppy Joe's out there. Well, and besides that, I'm sure, you know, I don't know how close you are anymore to the Lindsay farm. I know that you had one of your pieces sold that was over there, but like, 
they're probably doing a ton of that. I'm sure a bunch of your other neighbors are doing a ton, ton of that. So like all told, I wonder how many does get taken out of that area. You know, yes, Jeff and, and David and uh, Kyle certainly work on them real, real heavily, but honestly, I don't see it out of many other neighbors, virtually very few. Uh, everybody likes to hunt the bucks, yeah. but you, you feel like you're feeding a neighborhood on a lot. You know, a lot of my farms are satellites anymore. So we have decent food left and man, the does that pour in this time of year, they're, they're not the does that have been there the whole year. Yeah. And I, I just feel like it, I don't see people manage the does like we do. And it, it's such an important factor to overall herd health. Like it's, it's more important than anything else, in my opinion. You know, you got to have food, cover, and water, but you got to keep that population at a at a manageable, healthy level. Mm. I I really do think like this is a missing strategy that I have in my overall game plan. Like even on the suburban places where I hunt, there are just way too many, way too many deer in general, but definitely way too many does. I was gonna say, but it, I could see it being a lot harder. I mean, these these guys have destination food sources that you know they're you know, and the box blind setups, like they're all coming to these areas, mm -hmm. but in your situation, I mean, how the hell you target you're it? just hunting them like you would a buck. You're, almost, you're hunting I mean. like we would hunt during the rut. You hunt all year round, basically, mm -hmm. is yep. what I would kind of liken it to. Yep. Yep. Which you're banking on them coming within 20 yards of your stand, basically. Yeah. So the numbers will never be there, but I, you know, like even now I have a little bit of opportunity. I probably should take the crossbow with me in case I have a chance to, but I, you still have a buck tag and it's like, oh, I want to focus on a buck, but you know, maybe next year will be better for bucks. If I took a few more does this year and just yeah. kind of bit the bullet and did it. But come on, Tim, we got a couple of days left. I always talk about it. Just got to do it. <laughs> That's the thing. That's, you got till the 15th. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just think of the conversation with Beth. Beth, I've got to go start focusing on those yeah but oh, I've, there's I've, another phase to deer season now <laughs> i've Is killed that... two bucks but i need more <laughs> she's like oh great Can't wait. It, it's it's an important important factor and we we've got a, a dmap area down there myself and four or five neighbors got together and we worked with the missouri De department of conservation which they are releasing that program statewide next year like it will be available to anyone we were in part of a pilot program the last two years and last year we shot 109 does off of about 4,000 acres and we took our overall observation data from uh like four does to one buck down to one and a half wow. does to one buck in <laughs> one year is, is, is how much it affected it so it you can succeed if you have a, a bunch of like-minded people so all of a sudden areas where i really didn't consider planting grain crops i'm going to be able to because we've taken that doe population down that much down there in missouri so we're really excited because we've shot another 70 or 80 this year so <laughs> in two years we've shot almost 200 does off of that that area and it, it has affected it so i wonder do would farmers get involved in a program like that? I mean, because of how it affects their crops, you know, not just, you know, guys that are hunting like we hunt. And Certainly. I would think farmers would want to participate as much as anybody. I would think so, or allow someone to participate on their ground. Certainly. Yeah. Well, that, that's one of our deer cast writers, Dustin Prevo has, I think he calls like the mid Atlantic uh, land solutions group, where yeah. essentially he's kind of got together a group of guys that he trusts and landowners will hire him and his team out to come in and depopulate a lot of the does that are on a property, kind of bring those ratios back into a better harmony and also protect agriculture. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Kind of a, a neat niche yeah. job to create too. Yeah. I like the, to hunt. The good, so. the, the good part about the DMAP program is they, they force you through camera surveys and overall observation data to really understand what your population is. We know exactly how many bucks we saw last year as a group and how many does we saw. And then you age every single doe, you weigh every doe, and you really see through time that you're having a, a good effect on the population. So it's not just a kind of, oh, well, go go kill 50, you know, like there is a, a method to how many sure. uh, they want you to harvest. So you're working with a biologist at the state level, 
and he's he's taking you through that observation data and then giving recommendations on how many to shoot. So it really is a beautiful program. It, it's worth a honestly, Tim, it'd be worth a full article in DeerCast because it's uh, it's different for the Midwest. There's not a lot of states doing this, and it's it's a fantastic program. And the fact that they're releasing it statewide next year, it's a, a beautiful program. So are the okay i get the observation data that's when you're hunting there you you know you're keeping a journal or whatever of what you guys saw but what about the trail camera data are they supplying any of the cameras or do they require you gotta have x amount of cameras per acreage or how's that work no requirement other than just it's another way to do observation data so in, in order to qualify you know we didn't have observation data from the previous season and, and you're doing this application in july mm -hmm. so i used all of the previous year's trail photos and sent him hundreds and said here's what i'm seeing on the fields you know and i i had pictures of two bucks and ten does and he went through all my photos and came out with a with a ratio and then his initial recommendation was based off of those those trail photos so <laughs> he did the work once i sent him the photos so it pays to keep all of your all of your photos sure hmm. they never keep the doe pictures uh -oh. <laughs> they could be well valuable. but you have collateral does on buck pictures yeah right? you see them in the background and whatnot if you look through your pictures you do get a sense of, of how many does you're doing interesting mm -hmm. sounds like a program i need in ellsbury <laughs> it's yeah. a doe magnet mm -hmm. and the farmer complains about it a lot and he quit planting his cr basic crop rotation they normally did mm -hmm. he qu basically has quit doing that because of the crop damage he gets every year. How about we help our buddy Josiah with the question of the day? All right. The question of the day is probably brought to you by Cold Steel, real blades for professional hunters. You know, that uh, they got that new folding blade. Mm -hmm. Mark, did you get that one in the, the mail from Cold Steel? Yeah, it, pretty awesome knife. It, it, it actually really is. It's really sharp, too. We used Good. it on that the buck we killed the uh -huh. other day. It's, it's really handy, and it's about, you know, a couple inches. It's pretty nice. Prefer we used, it, four. used it last night on a couple of does. And you got one? I yeah. did. I don't know why they sent me one, but huh. good timing. I actually killed something. Professional hunters and other hunters also. <laughs> They're all inclusive. <laughs> <Apparently>. <laughs> Very modern for they a company these diversity. days. <laughs> all right. So, Josiah, let's hear it. Hey, guys. Hey, this is Josiah Smith. I'm from Cumberland Furnace, Tennessee. I'm 14 years old, and this is my second year of hunting. And I'm still chasing my first mature buck. I've lost two this year. And as I'm getting into late season, I'm having a really hard time finding them during the daylight. They're all middle of the night. And I'm just wondering, is there anything that I can do to help get these bucks up and on their feet in the day? So he's saying he lost them as in he had bucks on camera and then they kind of disappeared. I assume is what he's referring to. Not sure if he shot him and didn't recover him or if they're just not showing up anymore. But the, the overall point is he's just having a hard time encountering deer during daylight and wants to know if there's anything he can proactively do to change that. You know, that's, that's a tough, tough one if he doesn't have the places to go to do so. I mean, I have places on my farms that are awesome certain times of the year and you get into this time of year and it's all nighttime and it really comes down to the bedroom changed. Mm -hmm. And that may be his, it, one of two things, the bedroom changed or the food source changed and they're just not daylighting there anymore. And if you look at travel during October, November, it's quite good for bucks. So therefore your daylight activity increases because they're traveling more this time of the year. They're going about that far. You know, they're going from food to bed and bed to food. And it's very difficult to find them in between unless you have an incredible bedroom with thermal cover or an incredible food source that that's palatable to them to this time of year. So there are just certain times of the year that it's very hard to find a daylight buck unless you have really good bedding or really good food. So there may not be a solution. The best thing I could tell you is continue through time to stay after them and you're going to get that mature buck. I'm, I'm really encouraged the fact that you're 14 years old and uh, you're out there doing the best you can to find a mature buck, but it might be a good time to start knocking on doors, look for other areas, find other opportunities so that you have a fallback position during the latter part of the season. It may not be your normal hunting area. That, that hunting area may be better in the early part of the season. You may need a little different approach during the later part of the season or plant more food in future years to, uh, to increase daylight activity. And even when you have the food, like, for instance, that new lease that we were on, the deer were very nocturnal, as we've talked about. 
and I had a great food source, but it wasn't cold enough until recently for yeah. them to actually hit it before nighttime. There was only one stretch, and it was in December, basically right when you killed the fork buck, the deer I killed, he showed up four times, four days in a row. We encountered him once, just too far, but the moon was right, mm-hmm. and we had cold temperatures, and he hit the food source. But other than that, it was always nocturnal, and we didn't have good thermal cover like you're saying, we had the good food source, but we didn't have good thermal cover. So they were a little bit further away and it was just taking them longer. Well, when we got the cold temperatures on that back in December, when the moon was right and we had cold temperatures, they got up on their feet early enough. Sure. And um, so I sometimes like th- that property, it was just tough all year. They were nocturnal all year besides a few days here and there you know, when major cold fronts came through. So that's that's another point that if you do have any type of food or you know where they're traveling from, you know, waiting for those great deer cast days or good deer cast days and, and going in on those days in lieu of hitting maybe the bads or the pours or, you know, and, and a lot of times you're just upping rods in that regard, yeah. being there when they might be moving a little bit sooner. So, yeah, because that's a great point, Matt, and it's one that I've been talking about a great deal this fall. The difference between a, a poor and a bad and a great, you know, it's, it really comes down to what time of the day they get up and start walking and, and therefore increasing the opportunity that they work, walk further because they did get up a little bit earlier in the afternoon. So we've had some decent sits on bads, but it's because we're parked right next to the bedroom. Mm. You know, like if you're in it or next to it, you got a chance of seeing them. If you're away from it, like your situation you're talking about, it better be a great, or he's not going to be up and have enough time to get there. Yeah. So I, I don't think that we've done a as good a job as we could have articulating that in terms of the difference between what a great means and what a bad means, you know, sure. and it's really about the time that they're actually on their feet during daylight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a question for you. I, I talked to, I asked Terry this on the podcast as well. I felt like Deercast this year, it was, you know, cause you, you've, I've, I've seen plenty of guys say, especially if you follow like the working class, um, Facebook group, you know, Hey, I, I shot my best buck on a poor day or a bad day or whatever. And I felt like this year in general, the difference because of the moon, because of the warm temperatures, like I didn't feel like it was a normal year in that the, that greats or goods. Like I felt like there was so many days of just kind of okay weather that sometimes they did get up on their feet <laughs> on bad days or poor days, quote, quote unquote, bad or poor days in the, in the app. And I just felt like the app itself, it was a tough year for it because the way the weather was, and it's obviously the whole thing is predictive based on weather variables. And it wasn't a normal year whatsoever in that regard. So in your opinion, what did you feel like the year was like with deer cast and the predictions and the greats, the goods, the pours, the bads, all everything in between, like, you know, did, did you see any kind of uh, pattern there with it? Yeah, certainly. Like I said it earlier in the podcast, good was the new great this year because it just wasn't going to great very often because the, the variables didn't stack up very often okay is the new good and poor is kind of the new okay. So it was really, I think, a little bit uh, pessimistic and it was it's set based on normal temperatures. Well, we had a very abnormal year. Yeah. So therefore we would have had to re- readjusted everything early and had a crystal ball to know what the weather was going to be like the entire fall in order the, to make it a little bit more optimistic because it was just a little bit pessimistic. Um, the deer adjusted to it. The algorithm did not, in my opinion. So I felt like it was off about one prediction all fall, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think the bads that we had, there were a lot of bad days, but I still saw deer because I changed my tactics. I went into bedrooms or next to them that I normally wouldn't because I don't have to, because you have enough goods and greats. This year we had so many bads and pours. I hunted places I wouldn't normally hunt on those. And it, it, it really taught me a lot about when deer get up, and, and when they don't, and I, I mentioned it just a little bit ago, I think we need to do a better job of, of telling people or, or educating them what a great means and what a bad means. And it, it's really about the distance they'll, they'll travel during daylight hours or whether they'll even get up in daylight hours. So uh, overall, though, I think the deer movement was not as good as I've seen in other years, um, but the cold fronts were more effective than they ever were. And therefore, the first south after the cold front was very effective. 
And sometimes those those poor readings or lesser readings um, would come on that first south and it would just say, okay, well, it was still above normal temperature by 10 degrees, but it was the first south. So that part of the equation worked, but the temperature was so warm, it really pulled the overall prediction down and then you'd get a poor or an okay, but yet the deer would move pretty, pretty dadgum well. So it, it was interesting to see that. I think, and I told Terry this same thing yesterday, I think okay, being closer to the color scheme of bad and poor, you know, you go, you go red, orange, yellow. I think okay should be more on the green color scale because mm-hmm. I had some dynamite days on okays for, for deer cast. I, it, it, to me, it's still a positive influence yeah. and I see a lot of deer on okay days. And I think it should be more green than it be yellow or, or orange. That's, that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, you know, I thought the app was, was very, relative to what was going on i just think the deer adapted to an overall warm fall that's sure. what i've been saying i think the deer adapted to the fact that it just was warm <laughs> they they yeah. had to move at some point so they finally just you know started kind of meandering around and, and guys still have their favorite time of year to go out and hunt you know they've got a few certain days that they like to hunt and they're probably going to hunt regardless of what mm-hmm. the forecast says yeah the so right still out, yeah. yeah they're still out there they're still killing deer yep Let's finish things up with a wildlife word. It's brought to you by the Sportsman's Channel, your home for everything red, wild, and blue. Okay, so white tails, along with other animals like foxes and bobcats, are considered perfect walkers, Hmm. which means, A, their gait is so efficient they can hypothetically walk an infinite distance. B, the rest of their body remains still as their legs move. C, their legs contain no joints. Or D, their rear hooves land in the same place their front hooves landed. This is kind of a tough one. Glad Mark gets to go first. What did you get for saying that the last one was a mail-in? <laughs> Two times ago. <laughs> it was a mail-in. <laughs> I think it's D. D. Okay. <laughs> D is a dog. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. There's an inside uh, joke here because Dad says this meme, or it's not a meme, I guess, but it's this video, and he he loves to send it where via text, Uh where the guy he gets like a couple choices, like the answer is actually B, but the way he says it is B. It was basically you get to live the rest of your life with your wife, or B and the guy answers B before <laughs> the care what the option before is. the option comes. <laughs> it's pretty funny actually. <laughs> Sweet. I'm going with D as well. Okay. Well, you guys are correct. That is the definition of the term perfect walker. And and the thinking behind that is, and this is another reason that deer are just so incredible, is that they've already figured out that where they put their front foot is gonna make the least amount of noise. So Placing their rear foot there is is also going to result in the same thing. So it's why you never hear them coming. Well, you sure <laughs> like don't. they're just right there. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Pretty incredible. Perfect walkers. I like it. You're a perfect walker, Tim. I've seen you, you out there. Your gait and your. You've always appreciated my gait. Oh yeah. <laughs> is that what the longing uh, uh, glares look are, are like out there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Why is he glaring at me? <laughs> Looking at that gait. <laughs> <laughs> strutting that stuff <laughs> well we're about to the end of the season if folks still have tags hopefully <laughs> yeah a lot of people are breathing a sigh of relief hopefully you can punch those last few tags hopefully and those that are still grinding i feel your pain <laughs> yeah good luck yeah mark any wise words to end this thing nope just everybody stay safe out there and do your best to kill that final deer or fill that final tag. I mean, it's uh, there's still season in front of us, so we're going to be after it. Hopefully, everybody else out there will be as well. And if you now is a good time as the season ends to go back and catch up on any of the Deer Season 21 or Dream Season Lives, um, you know, because there's a lot of good content. I, I don't know how many installments there are. I think there's 11 in Dream Season and 30 some and 34, 35. So there's like. 45 installments of semi-live stuff out there from from the Drew Outdoors editing team. So. Full-blown, basically, TV 
edits. I mean, they're long. Well, they're long. They're more like DVD style or old DVD style of storytelling. Yeah. Because TV, we got to chop it up so much for commercial breaks and sponsorships and all this stuff. But these edits are really, it's more like the old DVD style, more storytelling to it because we have all the time in the world on the internet, basically. Deer season never has to end in DeerCast. That's right. Yeah. It is. And we appreciate everybody that has checked out the series. I mean, the minutes watched are through the roof for over. Over 20 million minutes, or approaching 30 million minutes viewed through those series. So that's pretty, pretty astounding. We got, we got the best fans in the world, and we appreciate everybody out there. Heck yes. A lot of people with a lot of time in their hands. <laughs> that too. Especially Dale <laughs> Wagner. <laughs> yeah, he's sticking with us for all our episodes. We Thank appreciate you, Dale. you, Dale. Yes, that Sounds guy like should Dale. get a hat. <laughs> all right, or a well, free mount. <laughs> <laughs> From who? I'll do it for him. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> How many eyes did your deer have? <laughs> All right, everyone. Take care. Thanks for watching. Till next time. Peace out. Appreciate y'all. Temperatures are going to be dropping. Perfect conditions for the skinny deer. Got to focus on those afternoon hunts. Northwest Tree Stand, 5 p.m. It's the easiest decision you'll make this season. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast. Yep. There you go. It doesn't feel complete without it. We're adding new videos every week, so make sure to click that subscribe button and check out all of our amazing content. This episode of DOD TV was brought to you by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's.